0: podcast Answer Man episode number 319
1: entertaining educational and encouraging content that makes a difference
2: this is gspn.tv join the community
0: hola a todos bonjour à tous et à toutes und hallo zusammen this is Mark Pendleton from Coffee Break Spanish, French, and German. You're listening to the one person whose podcast I never miss, Cliff Ravenscraft. I tune in to Podcast Answerman every week from here on the west coast of Scotland, and I'd like to say gracias, merci, danke, and thanks, Cliff, for everything you do for podcasters all around the world. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Podcast Answer Man. My name is Cliff Ravenscraft, and this, my friends, is The Podcast About Podcasting, helping you take your show to the next level. It doesn't matter if you're a brand new podcaster. If you have been podcasting for many years or you haven't quite yet recorded that first episode, there's something we can all do to take. (laughs) something we all... I can't talk. Let's just put it this way. There's something we can all do to take our show and everything we do in life to the next level. And, you know, I'm actually working with 21 brand new students of the podcasting A to Z online training course. And I just had my first student in week two record their first podcast episode. And they shared their first and actually they called it their first attempt which means to me that they're probably thinking I might need to re-record uh, this first episode, but this was our first run-on edit. And it was a husband and wife team uh, that are doing a podcast about building uh, genuine, authentic relationships with people, and, and I'll, I'll be talking about them in the future. Maybe I'll have them as a personal plug of the week once they get launched. But I was listening to the episode, and sure enough, the first eh, three minutes – It was, you could tell that they both felt awkward behind the microphone and how they were going to communicate with each other and, and stuff like that. But by about seven minutes in, I don't think that they realized this, but by seven minutes in, it became a very natural flowing conversation between the two of them. Yeah, it was, it was, it probably felt a little awkward. They weren't used to having a conversation in front of a microphone in the past, but still, I felt like I was just there in the center of a, center of an, a conversation between the two of them and I really enjoyed that really transparent authentic approach and also when it got to the end of the show he basically said thank you so much and by the way you can check out our website and he started saying the name of the website he got it wrong he stopped and then you know restarted and said you know oh no actually it's this is the website address and he left that in now, part of me wonders, and, and I'll find out later today, but part of me wonders if he left that in because he just assumed that this was just going to be a sample recording and it wasn't going to go anywhere. So he didn't need to edit that out or re record or anything like that. But for me, what I would suggest is that, well, you know, I kind of like the idea of that being your official first episode. Uh, it, it, I think it adds a lot of authenticity, transparency. It helps people to really relate to you and connect to you. And especially when you're sharing information, when you're teaching information, I kind of like the idea that you're, you're not trying to pull off this I'm professional and I get everything right and I don't make any mistakes and don't say any ums and ahs and and things like that, so why did I leave that in there in the beginning, you know, there's something we can all do to take everything we do in life to the next level. I leave it in because I wanna live by an example, and I, I'm, I'm just me, you know, I'm just me. That's Cliff Ravenscraft, I make mistakes, and you heard it in the episode. Well hey, in this episode I do have some uh, exciting things to share with you. Uh, first off, I wanna tell you that in our social media segment, which we're gonna have at the front of the episode, Eric Fisher is standing by to talk to us about embedded tweets. We're probably going to talk for about 10 minutes about uh, Facebook's, or not embedded tweets, embedded Facebook posts. You can see how my brain is focused on Twitter so much. But anyway, we're going to talk about a a new announcement from Facebook. And then, for the rest of this episode, I'm going to be talking with my great friend, Stuart Crane. And I'll introduce him to you guys in a little bit. But uh, we're going to talk about an idea, concept that he had for building a network of podcasts around television shows. And we're going to talk about how he got all that started and uh, hopefully share some inspiring information, especially uh, for me, just want to start off by explaining who Stuart is and how we built and established our relationship before we get into that story. So there's a lot of good information here. And also want to share with you, um, some more interviews are coming your way. Now, I'm not turning Podcast Answer Man into an interview show. So uh, I know some of you actually would desire that greatly. I've had many requests for it. But uh, I am going to have Stewart on here for an interview today. I actually have another interview scheduled for next week. I believe Mark Pendleton is scheduled uh, to potentially come on. And Mark opened up the show today from Scotland. And so we might have him on next week. And then the week after that, I may have Ken Davis on here. So three interviews in a row but I just wanted to preface it by saying that, no, I'm not turning Podcast Answer Man into an interview format. I just wanted to let you know that I do have some some unique and special content coming your way, and uh, you can prepare for it. All right, so let's go ahead and do this. Let's turn right now to our social media segment. Ah, Eric, I can't talk today. Eric Fisher, how are you doing, man? <laughs> I am doing well. I, you know, somebody convinced me to get up early in the morning. I don't know who that was, but, man... It's been a rough transition this week.
1: Yeah, but it's a transition. It'll it'll get there. It will get there. I'm, I'm excited. So uh,
0: anyway, today we're going to be talking on social media segment here, uh, this social media segment about Facebook giving us the ability to embed Facebook posts outside of Facebook. What do you think about this?
1: Yes, and uh, you know what? I, I like it. I like it because it, although we we saw this happen with embedded tweets, like you kind of said earlier, and this is basically Facebook's version of that, where you can take a Facebook post and then you can embed it anywhere else on the web that you'd like to. And I don't know, can you think of a couple different reasons why that might be something you'd consider ever doing?
0: Absolutely. So first and foremost, I would imagine that if I had an interest or desire in gaining more followers on Facebook, one of the ways to do that would be to give them some examples of some of the content that I'm posting on Facebook. So, for example, if I posted something uh, really exciting and, and intriguing, um, I could just post the same thing in my show notes. Or, if I want to, I could actually show, I could actually take the, the post where I put it on Facebook and then embed that post in my blog post, and that way people will actually see that there's the you know this came from Facebook, it's, it exists on Facebook, so therefore I have a Facebook presence. There's a couple other reasons I could think of. Um, do you want to share any off the,
1: let me give you one the, of mine. Yeah. I think one of mine is is that unlike a Twitter like unlike a uh, an embedded tweet, uh, tweets in general are not necessarily. There's a bigger time decay with those. Like they they, just—they're fleeting. They drop off quickly. Like somebody's not going to respond to a tweet that you put out today. You know, in three weeks from now, it's just not going to happen. However, you and I have both seen, and I'm trying to think of what it was uh, specifically. I know like an image or two, and you even talking about the the iPad mini case I suggested to you. Like Facebook posts like that that you've put out there, people comment on those like a week or two later, and it gets bumped up back into the conversation stream on Facebook. And so there's a lot more of an engagement or a stickiness or virality or all those other buzzwords to a Facebook post. So if you were to put an anchor to that specific post out there elsewhere on the web and not just on Facebook, I have to think it's going to up that engagement level with those posts. I, I completely
0: agree with you. In fact, you know, the one thing I will tell you is that the Twitter posts that I have seen some ongoing engagement on, you know, beyond, let's let us just say a, a Twitter post that is... Longer shelf life. Yeah, basically a Twitter post that it's three weeks old. I, I typically never get any kind of engagement on something that's three weeks old on Twitter. However, on the rare occasion that I do, it's usually because I've embedded that tweet in a podcast episode show notes which then of course when people are seeing it then they see the tweet up there and sure enough what do they do they click the retweet button right there from the blog post and 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 further engage with that content so uh, and and sometimes they'll hit the reply button right from that and it carries on that tweet so what you're saying is absolutely correct uh it it does lengthen the shelf life Another reason why I think this could be an idea for us to do this is, you know, not necessarily, to actually to be a little bit strategic about what we're pulling off of Facebook and embedding into our show notes. And my recommendation is that you pull off some content that's already gained quite a bit of exposure. So, for example, taking a, a let's say, a status update that you've put onto Facebook and it's got something where it's got 90 people like this, it's got 82 different comments on it, and it's got 14 shares. Well, if you take that, that post from Facebook and embed that into your show notes, what it does is it adds a little bit of social proof for you. Yeah, definitely. Social proof being that, you know, it it shows that other people are actively engaging with you and that you're engaging with them and that there's a community of people that, that know who you are. In essence, you know that, that they they recognize you, they they interact with you, and 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 you know it, it's kind of like the whole idea of you know if you have a hot dog stand, and I, I, matter of fact, there, here's a perfect example of this. There's a guy down the road every you know every day I see drive down the road and I see him standing out there with a little hot dog cart and he sells hot dogs, and I'm thinking okay, occasionally I might see one person there, and I never think twice about it. But Eric, I guarantee you this. If I drove by, and one or two or three times that I drove by, I saw a crowd of thirty people in line waiting to get a hot dog from him. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you, I'm going to want a hot dog. I want at least I want to try it out. I want to see what's going on. I'll, I'll stop and say, "It's like what's so big? What's the what's the big deal about these hot dogs?" You know that people would stop and and get a hot dog from him. So so there's there's something about the crowd. There's something about social proof, and when when there's a crowd that's gathered, it, there's a lot more. Uh, I I guess, interest or maybe even safety and engagement.
1: Yeah, definitely. And so what they've got, I've actually visited the the developer.facebook.com or developers.facebook.com and they've got an embedded post there that you can try out all the different things with. Um, It's not, this isn't currently available for everybody. Actually, it's
0: it's available for very few people. Number number one, I think it's important to uh, explain that right now it's only available to pages, and it's not available to currently to uh, member profiles. However, I do believe that that will probably change. I I, I have a feeling. Well, that I'm it, sure it'll change. I'm I'm sure they'll roll this out to our personal profiles so that I can start doing this myself. Um, but also, it, it's limited to you know some very highly popular pages at this point. But there there are plans. You know, I'm reading through the post here, and there. They are looking at uh, eventually rolling this out over time. I would imagine that, of course, how quickly they roll it out would depend on how, you know, how this turns out for them. You know, what kind of engagement they get and what kind of, you know, how this helps them. Although I can't see it doing anything other than helping uh, Facebook. I mean, it it gives them more of a presence out there.
1: It's gonna re- ring people back in around to to posts they may one have never have seen, or two re-engage with it if they if they ever did. So, so the, but yeah they've got a they've got an example here of uh, Venus Williams. She's got she's an athlete. I think it's tennis. Don't kill me if I got that wrong. But and it's it's got a post here of hers, and you can hit like for her page. There you can like the post. You can hit the share button. It shows you it's got like sixteen hundred and twenty three comments and two hundred and. 58 shares and Six how many th- people like it.
0: 6,020 people like it. So there's the social proof.
1: Right. You know, it's like, wow, if there's... You, it, if you it, hit the uh, comment button, it, it takes you to the actual Facebook post on Facebook to where all the comments are and you can enter yours.
0: That's, yeah, that's exactly it. And it's got the like button, it's got the comment button, and it also, you can share it right from the page without leaving. So basically, you can read the post, you can share the post, and you can like the post and like the page all without leaving the actual blog post where you've embedded it but if you do want to actually click on and see the comments or see where other people have shared it on theirs it is going to take you to facebook uh, but the cool thing is it and i just checked this it it does actually open it in a new tab which is important for me i would right. i i wouldn't want this embedded post to have a click on it and then all of a sudden it it, it you know takes over the existing tab or or, or browser window because I don't want them to be distracted from my page and, and forget that they were here, you know, where they started from.
1: Right, yeah. A Facebook rat hole that it would be. And you can even, and I think I already said this, but you can like the page right from here, which eliminates some of the headache that pages have of having to get people, for the most part, to go visit their page on Facebook to go ahead and like it there. Yeah. So. So I, I like
0: this. Um, this... <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended. I like now, it. I exactly. like it. Click li- I'm clicking like right now. No, I, I am excited about this feature. Um, I don't. Kn- I have not been using embedded tweets enough. Uh, back in the day when we first started talking about embedded tweets, you know, it. I was using them, and actually, it turned into a lot of Twitter activity. People retweeting and linking mm-hmm. back to those show notes, and I. I don't know why I got out of the habit. So, just a little quick reminder here. Yeah. We've had the ability to embed tweets. For a very long time, you can do that right away. So while you're waiting for the ability to embed Facebook posts, why don't you go ahead and start playing with this kind of functionality with Twitter since it's already available to you?
1: Yeah. And I think one thing that's going to become standard for me is once this rolls out for Facebook, I will probably use embedded tweets a whole lot more in conjunction with embedded Facebook posts, whether it's on show notes or on blog posts and different things. So absolutely.
0: Eric, thank you so much for bringing yet again another wonderful new update in the world of social media. I really appreciate this. It keeps us on top of things and uh, just value everything you bring to the table here, my friend.
1: Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All
0: right, my friends, it is now time to turn things over to my interview with Stuart. Now, before I introduce Stuart, Eric and I, after we finished recording the social media segment there... Uh, Reminded me that this, you know, if I do an interview this week, next week, and the week after, it'll be four interviews in a row because I had Leslie Samuel on last week. But that's cool. I just, you know, the only reason I made a a point about about sharing that with you in the front of the show is I just want to let you know that it, this is not some kind of you know subliminal message that I'm changing the format of podcast Answer Man. It just happens to be that there are four really awesome people that I want to have some conversations with, and I want to share those conversations with you. And today, my friends, we're going to be sharing. A, I'm going to be sharing with you a conversation with my great friend Stuart Crane. Now, Stuart is not only a personal close friend of mine, but he is also somebody that has uh, been one of my client/consulting or actually uh, podcast consultant/coaching clients he is also a business advisor for everything that I'm doing when I've got big questions big decisions uh, Stuart is one of the individuals that I turn to uh, because he's experienced a great deal of success in business in areas that I want to also achieve success in and so I turn to him for a lot of advice And uh, not only that, but I shared most recently with you guys that Stuart Crane is actually a sponsor for two GSPN.TV podcasts. And not only that, but Stuart Crane holds the record for being the number one financial contributor to GSPN.TV, the network as a whole. And we're going to learn a little bit more about Stuart, his experience in business, why we're bringing him on here, and ultimately we'll... Uh, spend a majority of our conversation talking about a TV podcast, a TV show podcast network that uh, he's created. But uh, Stuart, I want to just say welcome to the
2: show. Well, thank you very much, Cliff. Uh, I've secretly always wanted to be on Podcast Answer Man, so this is a great honor. Well, I'm glad to have you on here, my friend. What I'd like to do
0: is um, first have you tell folks about um, your business experience. So this is before you and I have ever met. Um, I, I, I would like people to get a people to get a feel for the experience that you've had in business
2: before we get into this venture of the online podcast network stuff. Sure, sure. Well, I think you know I've always had an interest in entrepreneurship uh, for some reason when I was even in back to high school. And certainly in college, um, I didn't really want to go to class. I always wanted to do some sort of business or work on projects. I was I got into programming, did a lot of uh, software programming, database programming. And, but my passion was just to have a business someday. So I um, went to Ohio Wesleyan University uh, in D- Delaware, Ohio. And literally my junior year, I, I had already gotten a job um, downtown Columbus um, to do work on projects, very high-tech uh, projects like smart cards, uh, vehicle identification, database management stuff. And this is back in you know, or 1985, 1986, and um, it was really exciting stuff. So I really always wanted to have my own business. Um, when I graduated college, uh, I did work for this large organization doing these projects, and then I ended up working on a, a project for a local company that was very entrepreneurial. Um, they had a, a business that they needed software developed for them. So I, I basically worked on it as a, as a you know, contractor for the large company. And they came to me and said, hey, how would you like to leave and be a full-time uh, developer on this and be in charge of all of our software? And I said, yeah, that'd be great. And so I left this very nice job and everything, very uh, high, high-paying job to move over there. And I became the main programmer the whole, the whole business. And uh, I worked literally in the office of the owner. So we would talk about business and so forth. So that business went from about 120 employees all the way down to one because they ran into financial problems with venture capital and so forth. So you know that story really gave me a lot of uh, lessons of failure. And I was right there for, for the whole uh, downfall, the way they had uh, launched uh, VC money and, and just very mismanaged. So basically, when that business uh, went out of business and I was the final employee, I was close to some of the bankers and some of the venture capital people. And um, I basically said, Well, I got to make some money. I got to, you know. So instead of going back to the consulting or to the big company here in Columbus, I started working on database management projects. And, and I started doing these side projects where I'd write um, DBase and FoxPro and FoxBase projects. Some of you might be familiar with some of these databases so so the, the way i got my my business going this is kind of a funny story uh cliff it i was literally in in my backyard just raking leaves one day and my backyard neighbor he had just moved in a little little while ago he comes over and, and you know what do you say when you meet your neighbor for the first time you say you know what do you do well he basically uh worked as a a nurse in a home care company and i was a software developer a programmer for databases and he, he was looking at me like, hmm, that's pretty interesting, because he was looking for software to automate all the patient information that he was entering into his, um, uh, basically doing charting for his, uh, he was working at a hospital, at a home care division at a hospital. So literally within a week or two, um, my neighbor and I, his name is Jeff Johnston, uh, basically started writing this software for the local hospital. To automate all of their uh, records. Now, remember, this is 1991-ish or so, so there was no internet. There was no uh, CD-ROMs. There was basically DOS uh, green screen. There was some color, but basically DOS computers. The IBM PC was just coming out. So, we started working on this project and writing a database management program for patient records, and it really went well. the The people at the At the hospital started using it and we had one computer set up to do it and when they were just fighting over the computer so Jeff and I were like hmm this is interesting this is going really well they put in a network this was back in the Novell and Lantastic days and we we said to each other well what if we were to create take this software product and basically make it more generic for the entire um, set of home care companies all across the United States that need the same thing because if they didn't have anything and they were pretty big at the time, then we knew that the other ones didn't have any. So basically um, Jeff and I started a business in 1993 when, by the time we got it, got it started, um, it was 1993. We started with $400 in cash. Jeff put in 200, I put in 200 and we started in my basement and it's kind of like the quintessential entrepreneurial story where we basically just met and we both blended our talents. I knew all about programming, how to develop software, how to build software, because I had done it all at the last company I had worked for. And he knew what the program needed to do. He needed, knew all the information. So really long story short, we just built this business, basically totally bootstrapped it. Um, basically that $400 was all the money we'd ever put into it. We started selling the software fairly quickly and um, we worked out of my basement for two or three years. Um, I worked on side projects for a while and then, then came on full-time. Jeff was on full-time. And then we started hiring employees. And uh, we can get into that some because I know I've always harped on Cliff about how important it is to have a team and have, have employees um, really to do bigger things. And, and we did that from the get-go. I think 92, we brought in our first employee. And we just really grew it very slowly, very methodically and um, I've always been interested in entrepreneurship and how to build a business. So now in 1993, 1994, I felt like I could basically do it myself with Jeff. Jeff was my partner. And, and I also learned a lot. I was very um, interested in learning about business. So I would read everything I could get my hands on about, well, how do you do the business? And I know Cliff, you you um, kind of follow Michael Gerber and e and we did that for a while. And that was very important and a lot of other very successful uh, business people. So. That's really how the business, my previous business got started was in 1993 when we formed it. And at the time we sold it, which was literally just two weeks ago, um, we we sold the company, you know, 22 years later, um, we have about 75 employees um, in, in Columbus. And it um, it was one of those things that it kind of lost its excitement, lost its edge over time. And uh, I think that's one of the, the reasons that, you know, I really was excited about working with you and talking to you.
0: Awesome. So there's there's a ton of information there, my friends. And um, I, I want to just highlight a couple of things and go back real quickly. Uh, the, the conversation at the fence, you and your neighbor, what, what year was that? That was 91. So that was 1991. So 1991. And then you guys are... are, are are all of a sudden building a business out of the basement of your home, uh, creating this software for these folks, and uh, just f- your first sale. Can you can you tell me a little bit about your first sale? How much did you how much did you charge for that software program? Uh, and 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 what was it like making that first sale? I'm interested okay. in hearing that.
2: Yeah, sure, sure. So basically, you know, the way we marketed was kind of funny, Cliff. Back in the day, there was no internet, so the way we marketed it is we would send out. These, um, we would go on to CompuServe. You, remember, you guys remember CompuServe and Prodigy? Oh, yeah. And we would type in the SIC codes um, for home health companies. And home health was kind of our target market uh, back then. And we would download, and I would download these things right into a database. And Jeff would highlight the ones he thought we could mail to. I'd do merge. You guys remember mail merges and, and WordStar oh, yeah. and WordPerfect. So we, I think we used WordPerfect back then. And we would do boilerplate. Uh, mail merges with letters and information and packets. So we would basically send this information out to these home care companies and they we would basically give them a teaser and then we said, here, send in this uh, postage postage paid reply card. So anyway, we got one from actually a pretty close um, uh, company. It was about two two hour drive away from Columbus, a hospital in Zanesville, Ohio. And we kind of knew them anyway through somebody else. So they said, well, why don't you come down? So we got in a car, drove there, and we basically had kind of one of these luggable laptops. It wasn't a laptop. It was a luggable. And we set it up and we basically loaded the software. And the software was already loaded. And we showed it to them in their conference room. And these guys were just floored. They, because they were doing everything with WordPerfect and, and Quattro Pro and stuff like that. So basically, they were like, well, how much does it cost?" And we were kind of looking at each other going up. <laughs> uh. So we kind of got real quick on making sure we had all of our pricing together, but that was was about our first price cliff was forty so four thousand nine hundred ninety six dollars for the base package. And then we had a few other odds and ends. And then we charged for training, and then we charged for customer support or basically maintenance, a maintenance contract. So to answer your question, it was a cl- it was a, a co- company in, in Zanesville, Ohio about a five thousand dollars sale, and we just thought that was a million dollars at the time. Absolutely, absolutely. Um,
0: I just interested in you know obviously you've went on from there. You made several other sales after that, and you in nineteen ninety two hired your first employee. Your your first employee um, between obviously there is you and your partner. And this first employee, what was that first employee doing? What what did you hire that first full time employee or part time employee to do for you?
2: Yeah, I mean the first first employee probably was kind of a jack of all trades. Um, you know, when you only have one employee, you kinda have them do everything that you've been doing and then some. But um, and we work were, we were working out of my basement at the time, so that was a little odd. They were they were probably the only employee that worked out of the basement because once you get an employee, you can't have people parking at your house and stuff like that. So um, I think they worked at my house for you know, probably four or five months. And what, what they were doing was essentially doing both um, you know, marketing stuff where they would help us with the packets and help us send stuff out and then answering, answering the phones. And, and if people called and wanted to know more information, if they knew as much as they could, if they knew enough, they would help them. Otherwise, they'd have to pass it to Jeff or I. Um, so they were basically doing ons and ends to free us up to basically create more software, create more materials. And because we were doing training, you know, obviously training things, so we had to write documentation, we had to write user manuals and so forth. So they would kind of do office things. That was our first employee.
0: Now, you mentioned that uh, you were reading lots of books uh, at the time. And and I know that you and I have a, we, we, we're both big fans of the, the business genre of books, and also personal and professional development style books. Uh, what are what would you say are probably one or one, two or three of your favorite books in this genre?
2: Well, you know, I I don't know about E Myth being my favorite, but I think it is extremely a valuable book, and everyone who starts a business, especially at the small level, needs to read E Myth by Michael Gerber. Um, that, that's kind of a must read. As you get bigger and um, you're thinking of bigger picture things, I think Good to Great by Jim Collins is very important to, to have that. And then you know, those are probably my, my two business. The only other business one, it's kind of a niche book that um, is very odd, but I've learned more from this book than any other book I've read. And it's by a guy named Felix Dennis, and that book is How to Get Rich. He basically um, started PC Magazine, PC World over in Europe, actually in the UK, and and he is uh, many, many hundreds of millionaires. You know, He's very, very successful, and, and the way he writes is just basically telling you flat out, straight out, this is how it is. And so I've always looked to try to find people that have been there, done that beyond what I've done. And he's way beyond what I did. So if you always want to check it out, it's called How to Get Rich by Felix Dennis. That's by far my, my favorite book of, of all time for business. And then I agree with you, um, Cliff. We, we, bo- we both also have a passion for self-development. And that kind of you know, ties into this whole podcasting idea because when I was um, in college, actually just you know, college, high sc- even back to high school, but college and right out of, out of college, I would listen to uh, books on tape. And these are books that are self-development and uh, motivation and stuff like, uh, you know, Tony Robbins, Brian Tracy, Jim Rohn, it goes on and on and on. But they all basically recorded all their books on do cassette tapes. And if you come to my, my office here, my house in my library, I literally have a whole wall full of all of these uh, books on tape and they're all cassette. And then thing, things moved over to CD Obviously, and so I bought a lot of uh, books on CD. Although I have a bigger collection of books on cassette, so I'm very passionate about self development, self help, and motivation. And that's what kind of got me excited about podcasting because it's really the next generation of digital content. And, and and I'm really I like the the speaking portion of it. I would listen to Brian Tracy in my car driving, you know, all over, and it's like he's right there in your car with you, and he's telling you it's just you and him. And uh, very, very. I mean, it's very fascinating for me, and that's what's exciting about podcasting. Is um, you know, if you listen to Pat Flynn, he kind of always says that. It's kind of neat how he's connecting with his people through the microphone, and they all say to him, "It's like you're right there with me." So I love that. Absolutely. So
0: you're you're taking all this uh, content. You know, people who are positive minded. Uh, people who believe that you know when you set goals, if you believe they're possible, the only th- thing that stands in your way between what you dream is possible and making it happen is a plan. And and so obviously, you've, you've set your sights high, your goals high, and with your business, you achieved some pretty amazing things. Now, I'm not going to ask you to get into specifics, but one of the things that I've come to know about you is that you're very open. And I know you'll share whatever you want to be, whatever you're comfortable with sharing. Uh, but can you tell us? Just give us an idea, and and you're free to say this without any boasting or anything like that. We're not going to worry about that because I'm asking you to tell us if you're interested. Um, tell us financially how successful that business got for you, the business that you were running.
2: Sure, sure. So so in the early days, you know, basically the mid '90s was the early days for us. Um, you know, we would have, um, we started out with a couple employees, five, 10 employees at you know, in the mid nineties and it was, you know, we were gotten up to a million dollars in revenue and that was all great. And we kind of just grew it very slowly and very methodically. And we would only add employees as we added revenues and our revenues grew probably 10 to 20 to 30% a year. So it wasn't like this major spike growth where we doubled in revenue every year. It was just a really slow, gradual increase. So, you know, financially, it's really just as you grow and as you're selling more systems, as you're adding customers, you're adding features and you're adding modules and things you can sell, you're adding people. So, you're just growing your business. So, um, just, you know, fast forward all the way to 2012. I mean, last year we did about 13, 13 13.5 million in revenue. And again, that's just think about that. That's from 1993 all the way to 2012. So, this isn't a fast growth thing. Like you hear from like the Instagrams of the world and some of these dot coms, it's very slow growth. Um, 2013, we were on pace to do about 15.5 million in revenue, and and you know financially, the nice thing about a software business is really how profitable it can be. Um, you really have no cost of goods, so um, everything everything you you ex- is expensed, and you're basically if you if you run the business well and you run it right. Um, you can throw off a lot, of, a lot of income. So we were probably doing that at close to 30 to 33% net. So that's you know, about 5 million or so in, in profit, net profit per year. Now, of course, that's divided because there's two owners. And that was one thing that was good about our business is we never took on any, any debt. We had actually did have two loans that we did in 2005, 2006, and those for acquisitions. We made two acquisitions where we, we bought our, our competitors so they, they were paid off in five years and had basically no debt other than short-term bills that you have to pay, a lot of cash in the bank, and then it's throwing off you know about $5 million a year in, uh, in profit. So, so you can build that kind of business. And another thing that was good about a software business is if you set it up where you have maintenance fees and you have modules where you're basically um, selling them on a recurring basis or you're basically charging on a recurring basis, you really don't even have to resell them. So we had about 80% of our revenue. So 80% of the 15 million is recurring. So literally on the first of every month, we're booking 900 grand, maybe a million bucks in revenue on basically the first day of the month without having to sell anything. So... We, we did kind of get lucky in the sense that the business was a, is, a, is a software business and it was an enterprise software, so it's for businesses, it's a B2B business, it's not a B2C. So, so there's a lot of advantages there, but I'm not saying it wasn't tough and it wasn't difficult, it was, but that's, that's really financially kind of the, you got to the point where Jeff and I were making between two and two and a half million a year, every year, year after year, and, and, but the passion was gone and it's like, okay, I would like to obviously continue to make good money, but I want to be able to do something that's fun. Cause it, it was a blast in the early days in the basement and we work 24 seven building the software, but it gets different as you, you have employees and we have 75 employees and big customers, you know, all over the country and so forth.
0: So again, there's, a, there's a ton of information in there and I know that folks are, are listening to this and they're internalizing a lot of things that you're saying. Um, just real quickly you've said it several times and and I, I just want to emphasize this because this is slow measured growth this you know you, you just you just throw out a big huge wow whopping you know pretty consistently two to three million dollars of personal income each year consistently without you know and and one of the things that I know and you wrote this in a letter that you even give, gave me permission to to publish it uh, online and that was, you know, without really having to work a whole lot, you know, if if you didn't want to. You had you had basically surrounded yourself with the right people to do the right jobs and and the business kind of operated itself unless you wanted to really get in and put your hands in, and do something, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. What what Jeff and I did is we built a senior management team that was very very strong that they knew everything they needed to get done. And then we even had one person in between the senior managers, probably have like six senior managers, and those are all over the departments. And then in between them, we had one person who was, we called him director of operations. You can give him whatever title you want. As people say, titles are just words. But that person was basically below Jeff and I. So we got Jeff and I. Then we have Mike. His name is Mike and then under them we have six senior managers and then under them is the entire team the rest of the you know 65 70 people so so yeah i mean if you build your business and then it gets back to E-Myth to a certain degree and and um, you you can have a situation where the business runs very well very successfully without you having to even do anything now i did certainly do certain things like work on you know larger projects and and visionary things oh we want to get into the this and that and try to get connections and so forth. But the day-to-day, you know, building software and, and exciting things that uh, was back in the basement days, that was long gone. So, but you're right. Awesome. And you, you mentioned something
0: um, that you kind of lost passion for it over time. And, and you kind of, and it sounded to me, and, and tell me if I, and if I picked this up correctly, you kind of were reminiscent of the good old days when you would work around the clock.
2: Yeah. And that's exactly right. I mean, I started to do some research on a business that I wanted to start that would be my next business. And I wanted it to be something in uh, personalized radio and how you could build a personalized um, you know, radio broadcast every morning driving to work because I was so into that. And, and that led me into podcasting. And so when it led me into podcasting, of course, everyone knows that leads you to the podcast Answer Man. <laughs> so I started watching your videos. I started really just looking at what you're doing and then obviously listening to your podcasts as well. And you absolutely had that passion that that we had. And, and you actually worked, I looked like you worked out of a basement. I don't know your studio exactly yep. where it is I'm in your in house, in but it looked like house. you had the same type of setup as I had. I had computers everywhere. I had, you know, all this stuff set up and and it just really um went all out, and the just the way you talked and the and the way you um, expressed your information to your listeners it was just it was it was kind of like reminiscing
0: wow and and so I guess the the very interesting thing here and and this is how you and I were first introduced so you 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 had already kind of started to feel a little discontent with you know the lack of what it is that you want to do next. You're, you're like, man, I really want to involve myself with something and and build something again. I want to get back to doing something that gives me a lot of excitement and passion and maybe even a little risk, you know, and, and stuff like that. It seems to me that that, that was a, some of the goals. Am I, am I reading into that correctly?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, to start something fresh from scratch, from just an idea that you have and then to build it from scratch. I mean, when you say scratch, you have all these tools and resources that are out there, but to take an idea that you have and say, can I build this and make it something that, you know, literally millions of people potentially could enjoy on a day-to-day basis. that I mean, talk about excitement for me. that That's huge. I mean, the software business that Jeff and I built, yeah, it's not used by millions, but since the time we've been talking, since we started here, I bet you probably... Five to ten thousand prescriptions have been filled using that software. so it's kind of neat to think you create something that you know can be used for you know these home care pharmacies. Well, now I'm thinking, can I build something that is used slash used or listened to or whatever by millions of people maybe driving to work in the morning or working out or in their house or, you know, anywhere because of the fact that everybody's now getting smartphones and it's not just MP3 players anymore. Now everybody with iPhones and Androids, they're all able to listen to these things. So, so yeah, it's, it's the excitement of building something from scratch. So that that's what started your
0: search. You found me probably in June or July of 2011 I had no idea that you were listening to me. Uh and this and by the way I just want to I just want to stress to people um you know you never know who's listening to your shows. And and it you know it doesn't matter if you have 100 people, you know 1000 people or you know 10,000 people who are listening to your show. You just never know who might be listening to your podcast. Now, I happen to know that you found podcast answer man, but it also led you to check out it's like mm, I I, I follow this guys Is probably read the about page you probably and then you checked out the podcast network I had I know that you ended up starting to listen to Hunger Games and I believe you were starting to listening to Pursuing a Balanced Life am I correct Yep exactly So and and by the way folks I I you rarely hear me ever promote Pursuing a Balanced Life on this podcast and and if you haven't ever listened to it this is going to be one of those times go to pursuingabalancedlife.com. Uh, I have 534 episodes of that show that has been recorded. It was the second podcast I ever created, and it pretty much shares my entire journey of starting as a hobby all the way through the transition of leaving my career, the very stressful financial issues of launching this as a full-time career as a business, and, and then my journey of getting to where I am today. And if you ever wanted to know all of that, you could listen to 534 episodes if you want to. But anyway, Stuart, I, I never really promote that. And, you know, I would say probably because I am only releasing maybe an episode once every, at this point, once every two to three months. And even before that, more recently, I was only releasing an episode maybe a, a month, every month and a half. And, um so it, that that shows audience probably right around 800 to 1500 subscribers but that's it's only that many because so many people have found it over the years and they they do enjoy the content but uh, in the early days it's a podcast that you know for the first three to five years only had about 300 400 subscribers and and here's my thing you were one of the subscribers who were listening to my show back in uh, the par- pursuing a balanced life back in July of 2011. And then one day, uh, Stephanie and I were uh, working out our accounting, and, you know, our business was at the point where uh, we were starting to actually make some financial headway. Uh, We started to see some pretty big uh, months, Uh, month after month after month. We had a couple record-breaking income months for the business. And the thing is, is I wasn't sure if it was going to continue, you know, and and I had done new things and to continue to have that income, I'd have to continue to do the things that I was doing. And as you know, because you were listening to Pursuing a Balanced Life, I was working, you know, 12, 16, 18 hours a day sometimes, uh, almost six or seven days a week and sharing all of that stuff. But um, here's what happened. One day, Stephanie and I were uh, doing our accounting work and she says, Cliff, it's, you know, August is coming up. And the kids are going back to school. I know you, that you budget for us to ha- have a paycheck. The business pays us a paycheck of this amount, but here's the thing: I need an extra three thousand dollars, and I'm like, and, and I'm like, man, I just don't know about that because it's not just three thousand dollars, but it's also all the taxes and everything else that they have. I mean, to pay myself an extra three thousand means that the business actually has to give up an extra, let's just say, five to six or seven thousand dollars. To even pay that additional net on top of what we already paid, and we were going back and forth, back and forth, and she finally she says, "Okay, fine, I can cut this out of the budget. I can cut this out of the budget, and cut this out of the budget, and make the kids wait until next month for this, 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 and this." And I just started thinking, you know, why do I mean, I, why don't I just trust that if my business is going well, that it's going to that it's it it's not going to get worse. It 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 should get better. And why don't I just have faith and just write her the darn check, and so that's what I did, I, I I prayed to myself, and I said, you know what, Stephanie, write the check for whatever you need, we'll make sure it's there, and the amount that we needed, believe it or not, was $12,000 that month for the business to pay me the net amount plus all the taxes, and and I'm like, I, I, I'm just, this is, this I feel this is the right thing to do, even though everything in my senses tells me it's wrong, but my gut tells me, go ahead and write the check, we'll, we will make sure, it will work, it will work out, so Stephanie's, you know, we did this late in the day, Stephanie's on her way to catch the, you know, to go to the bank before they close to make that deposit, so she can start, you know, divvying up the money to pay our bills and stuff, she, she checks the mailbox, and she walks back in, and she brings me this envelope, and she says, you've got to open this, now, the envelope's already been open. And I can tell there's a letter folded up inside, and something's inside the letter. And she, she the way that she handed it to me, and I think I told you the story, Stuart, but the way that she handed me the letter, I thought for sure there was some kind of obscene picture of some girl or something. She, the way She's like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe this. You have to open this letter, you know, because I've got to see your reaction when you open this letter. And I'm thinking, what in the world is in this letter? So I open up the envelope and I see that there's a typed up letter, and inside the letter is a check for $12,000. And so I would like to, you know, give here, obviously, I'll make this available on the internet. You guys can read the letter. Uh, it's at gspn.tv slash check, and it'll be in the show notes. But Stuart, can you tell why why, why so much, and, and what was your thinking behind that?
2: Well, you know, I think uh, I had been... You know, engaged in all of your stuff for so long, and you know, and you do a good job of saying, "Hey, we have a plus membership uh, area." And then I think you had some done something like recently. I think it was before I even started listening, where you know you could you could get so much if you paid, and then you get or if you didn't pay, and then you get all of it if you pay, and then you change it to say, "Well, let's just give it all away," and then we'll just make it you can you can basically contribute whatever you want to to, to plus, which I like that. I mean, I like that. And um, and you, you were talking earlier about the fact that you share, you know, your financial situations and, and depending on what's going on with your audience and you're very open and transparent and just, you know, all of that, you put it all together. I was sitting there going, well, you know, this is something that really needs, not needs, but deserves, I guess that's more the word, deserves a really good contribution. And I'm like... Oh, I could do 5,000 bucks or I could do this. I could do whatever. I mean, I have you know, plenty of money. That wasn't the issue. It was really what is the right amount? And 12 came up just because it's like there's 12 months in a year. And you do a lot of things on an annual basis. I know when you talk in your podcast and you, you set things up for years and you, the year of Providence and all these things, it's basically you kind of cut things down into a year. Well, there's 12 months in a year. So I just came up with 12,000. There was really no other rhyme or reason to it other than that. And then, obviously, I had to write the letter because you'd be like, what the heck is this for? So, um, you know, wrote the letter basically saying that, you know, this is money that you had earned all along. It's not something that, you know, I'm looking at as an investment and I want to get something back or whatever. It's really the fact that what you did from the time you started your lost podcast and leaving your job and insurance and all the things you did, that that is deserving of of that, you know, easily. So, That's all I wanted to say there is just, you know, this is definitely money well earned and it's something that you can go and, and make your business even bigger and better for, for your, for your listeners.
0: That's awesome. And I, and I
2: just want to tell people,
0: say, you know, that was a, this had, I mean, obviously I had made the decision to do this, um, you know, several months before this ever came in. But in January of 2011, I made the decision, you know, I'm no longer going to charge for content. This content is something that is so valuable. I'm, I'm making money elsewhere. I'm making great money through my consulting. And when I first started this business, I thought you know I'd sit behind a microphone. And that's how I was going to make my living. And I still see some potential there for for ways that could be possible. But But I just don't feel led to go down that road right now. And I feel led to give away all this content for free. Uh, and, and make it available. And I made that transition. And that's where I said, you know what? I'm not going to charge a penny for any of this content anymore. And f- by the way, all of you who were contributing, you know, paying monthly to have access to all the material, uh, it's now available for free. You no longer have to pay. You could cancel if you want. If you want to stay on, it's a voluntary contribution. Whatever is fine with me. Uh, just thank you for everything, and and then all of a sudden, like I said, um, it's so funny that the exact amount of that check that I need, the amount, the amount that we had to, it's like I had already made that, and of course this is the year of providence, and I and I know that you know I'm a man of faith, and so I was like you know praying, it's like God, I, I'm just I, I'm trusting you that you you've shown us all of these month to month these increases, and I'm just gonna trust that, that you're still going to continue to provide. And this, these are needs for my family. And I need to think bigger. I need to think that, that outside of the box. I need to really trust that, you know, this is the right path and this is the one thing. And it and it, it's funny, it, but I, I kind of see how, you know, you were doing what you were doing just because of what you were doing. But in my side, it's like, you know, God used you to actually communicate to me in that year of providence and and that all came out in several episodes of Pursuing a Balanced Life. But I just want to say real quickly, the last line of your your letter says, I remember the passion I had when I started my business many years ago. And what you're doing with GSPN reminds me so much of that. I just think that what you are doing is great and I would love to see it continue to succeed. Congratulations on creating something so ex- exceptional. And, and Stuart, I will tell you right now, and I think I, I've shared this with you in the past, but the letter that you wrote was as valuable if not more valuable than the check that you wrote i know I, no, that the check was extremely valuable to me i won't tell you uh, i won't lie um it was very very nice and very helpful but the, at the same time that letter meant a great deal to me and that letter still sits on uh right here next to my wall on my wall right next to my desk here in my studio and so just thank you for that now, here's the situation. I want to transition. We've, we've got some more time here. I want to transition into the real heart of what I wanted to share, and that is um, we, there's something you wrote in the email. It's like, you know, listen, don't, I don't expect anything from you. This is not an investment. This is not a down payment on anything. If you're interested in learning more about me, I'd be happy to talk with you. Uh, I do have an idea of a business that I'm thinking about, uh, but this would be a separate consulting arrangement where I would purchase your time or products or services specifically for that purpose. Uh, but if you're interested in hearing more, then I'd be happy to talk to you and Of course, that started our relationship I you know looked for a time to call you and we we got on the phone and started having conversations and that's when you told me about this idea for a network of shows. so tell us what was the inception how did how did the idea come up and and what was the original thought on this? on this
2: thing. Well, I think I think actually and I'm I might be wrong here, but at the time I think I wrote that, I think my idea was the personalized radio station idea where, you know, I wanted to be able to, you know, have users go onto like a website or something and set up all these favorites, kind of like Google Now if you've ever seen Google Now, but on, in an audio format kind of where, and there's a lot of these things that are sort of like it, but you get in your car and you basically hit play on your smartphone and it gives you audio content that's specific to what is um, related to you. And I really was into that because I've been listening to things in the car all the time. And then it just looked like it was going to be difficult to program, difficult to get the content to put together, but I knew podcasting had something to do with it. And then you know when we talk more and, and really listen a lot about you know your experience with Lost and how that the lost uh, podcast is what generated so many listeners and and the biggest um, you know audience and you said your entertainment podcasts have always been the most popular and then so I started doing all this research on uh, TV show podcasts so if you go out to iTunes and you go into TV and film you just see you know uh, uh, literally you know uh, you know pages and pages of these podcasts for TV shows, which is great. That means there's a market. That means there's people doing it. That means, you know, people like him and all that. But I kind of was thinking, this kind of hit me all at once. It's like, well, wait a second. This is kind of like the whole, uh, you know, Michael Gerber kind of e-myth of the, of the franchise. If you guys know Ray Kroc, he basically started McDonald's because there was no one place that had everything consistent and so forth. So my idea is basically to, create a brand, and it's called TV Talk, but you have a brand, and then you basically say, we're going to put all of these uh, podcasts that are related to TV, only TV. We're not doing sports. We're not doing movies. We're not doing techie stuff. We're only doing TV shows, and not only just TV. We're really only doing new TV shows. If a show's been on in the past, we probably won't cover it, so my idea was come up with a branding, TV talk, and put all these podcasts under one network and make everything consistent. Make the duration or the length of the podcast the same. Make the intro the same, the outro. Make the format the same. Have little uh, pitches and, and little things like talk back question of the week. Make them the same across your entire network so when somebody listens to one of our TV talk shows and then they say, well, I'm a, I also am a fan of this TV show and they go and and they listen to another of our TV talk, they know what they're getting. And my wife and I watch a lot of TV. Um, If you've watched the Food Network or if you watch uh, HGTV, they have these shows like uh, Chopped or uh, Cupcake Wars or uh, House Hunters, if you watch House Hunters, what do they do? They always do the same thing on every show. You're introduced to two couples. They're in a city. There's going to be three houses they're going to look at. There's going to be a commercial in between the second the first, second, and third house. And at the end, they're going to pick the house they want to live in. Then they're going to do a little thing with them living in their new house. And then the credits roll, and you're done. That is basically consistent, predictable, familiar television. And what we're trying to do with TV Talk is basically the same thing. It's basically make it so it's consumable in a short period of time on your way to work, but you get the um, the water cooler talk that you need because you watched, whether if it's reality, it's Big Brother or it's um, American Idol or America's Got Talent or whatever the night before. If it's reality, you want to basically you know see what they think about that. If it's drama and it's something like Under the Dome where there's a lot of things going on and maybe conspiracies, you wanna get extra conspiracies or hear what other people thought about it before you even get to work so that when you're at the water cooler at the office, you've already got your you know, ammunition of, of the TV talk. So there's that kind of element to it. And, and I, another thing I, I, didn't, I saw in the, all these podcasts about TV is that you didn't really know when it was gonna show up in your subscription. Yeah, you can subscribe using a podcast app and you can say subscribe, but you don't really know when it's coming. So what we decided is, you know, let's make it show up every morning, basically first thing. Matter of fact, we record the the TV talk uh, podcast that night and it's in the can before midnight or 2 a.m. in the morning. And so when you get up, even if you get up at 4 in the morning and you basically drive to work at 4.30, you will be able to listen to your TV talk show the next morning. And then, of course, it's on demand. If you watch it on Hulu or whatever, it's always there. So that that's what we wanted to basically make things consistent that way. And then the other thing we came up with is, okay, you can get Downcast or Podcatcher or DogPod this or a podcast app from Apple. You can do that. But what if we were to create an app, and we just called it the TV Talk app, and we wrote it for iPhone, for Android, um, and then we can do others. But basically, those are the big two. And we just have everything in our own app, then all of a sudden we control essentially the experience um, to the user as far as basically pulling up a list of your favorite podcasts or your favorite TV talk shows, hitting play. And then we came up with an idea, which, which I came up with because of all the social media going on, which is basically these comments, just kind of like a blog has you main blog article or a blog article, and then you have all these comments below it, kind of like Facebook, where you have a main post and then all these people, you know, they comment, 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 comment. The TV talk show, the podcast, which is twenty minutes long, is the kind of the meat of it, and then we allow our listeners to using the app send in a, uh, what we call a talk back clip. And and this, I got this also from you, Cliff, is this you, cause you would have people send in their feedback and they were basically little mini voicemail messages. And I'm like, you know, this is, this needs to be leveraged. This is huge. People want their, you know, they, they want to hear themselves, you know, kind of thing. So in the TV talk app, while you're listening or when you're done listening, you can just hit one button. It's the talk back button. And then you record your, um, you know your clip for 40 seconds or 20 however long you know it is and then it goes into our servers and then we basically have all of the clips from all the people and since you're connected through Facebook and Twitter we have your little profile picture and your city state and then those can get played at the end of the TV talk show so my idea and it hasn't fully been realized cuz we don't have a ton of the clips coming in yet but we will once we get a lot of users is that you'll listen to the TV talk show on the way to work, and then when it's over, you might listen to five or 10 or 15 individual people giving their opinion about Under the Dome or Dexter or America's Got Talent or whatever it happened to be. And you could listen to those at the end and they just play you know, clip after clip after clip. So anyway, bottom line is um, you really, it was an idea that I put together in a business plan over literally many, many, many months, basically a year. And then I really wanted to get the domain, the tvtalk.com domain. And uh, once I got the tvtalk.com domain, then I basically started getting uh, the team together. And we can talk about that a little bit if you'd like.
0: Yeah, so so basically the idea and the concept was there all the way back in uh, January 2011. Although the concept was, like you said, it was a little bit more of a idea of... of uh, you know, you would have an application where you would sign in, and you would say, "I want, I, I kind of want this little thing, this little thing, this little thing, this little thing." Now, uh, go and pull all of these different sources and build a, a podcast that's specifically tailored to me from all of these different segments.
2: And yeah, and actually, right. I
0: think there was there were services back in two thousand six that actually did this. It's uh, something
2: like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then Siri came out, and I was like, "Oh, Siri and, and Apple. That this could all get." you know, beat out by somebody like that. And so and that's when I switched over to looking at these TV podcasts.
0: But anyway, we, we, we actually, I know you were working with several other people, but you and I also had some great conversations about this and, 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 it, and it evolved. But um, how long or when did you actually end up getting
2: the TV talk domain? Okay, I got the domain, I believe it was um, August or September of 2012, that sounds, so September 2012 was when I actually got the tvtalk.com domain. And so literally that is when I started really putting together my team and saying, okay, we got to build the website and then start building the app and so forth.
0: Now, obviously one thing I want to point out here, and, and this is why I gave the, the backstory of, of of Stuart. I, I mean, Stewart's obviously got some, uh, money to invest heavily into this operation this isn't something that uh, the average person is going to be able to say oh I'm gonna do exactly what Stuart did only I'm gonna do it for sports broadcasting um, you could tr- you could actually try that hopefully you will and and maybe you can boot- bootstrap some of the things and be inspired and do that and I encourage you to but what you're gonna find here is is that Stuart does have the resources to um, to actually invest Uh, monetarily into this business to get it going and to fund some of the things to really help it skyrocket from the beginning but also not only that but you also bring in all of the experience you've had of building your prior business and the relationships and how businesses run and and things like that and one of the things that really impressed me is is uh the first time you sent me a pdf document say hey cliff i'd like you to read through this business plan uh, and tell me what you think. And so, I mean, you already, before you bought the D- TV talk domain, before you decided what to, what, you, I mean, we? I think you were working with the temporary name of the network at the time and right. and stuff like that. But, but you actually sat down and wrote out, was it a five or a 10 year business
2: plan? It was five. I mean, I think it, as far as you can go is five. That's a long time these days, but yeah. yeah.
0: So, so you came up with this five-year business plan, and what impressed me was you had already projected. Is like, okay, number one, I'm going to be paying hosts, and that like, wait, what? That blew my mind. That you know, that's something is unique in the podcasting space. That's I'm sure there are, are several other instances of this where people are being paid as hosts of shows, but but certainly not. Uh, it's not prevalent, and this is a unique sit up in that way and it's and it's not that you're just paying them but you're paying them well uh the idea that you're i noticed in your business plan you were going to provide equipment for these hosts so they didn't have to rely on their own stuff you, you you were expecting a consistency of the quality of the shows and you knew that for consistency you'd want everybody to have pretty much consistently the same kind of equipment it's kind of like ray Kroc wanted to make sure that the you know the mcdonald's and North Carolina was using the same thing to fry the burgers, uh, you know, the same equipment to fry the burgers in, in northern Kentucky uh, or in China. Uh, so, so you wanted some consistency. So I noticed that, that there was all of that. And it's like, wow, that, there's the money that's going to go into buying the equipment. There's the money to, to pay hosts per episode to create content. Then you were actually going to potentially be training p- these people so that, that you might even send a consultant out to them to train them how to do this. Um, and, and I saw and, and so I saw all of the the front end money that would go into actually getting this thing off the ground, hiring somebody to program the apps and, and stuff like that, hiring employees to manage things like production, uh, who, you know because obviously the the hosts are just recording the show and submitting that recording and then somebody else is going to produce it, put all the little segments together. Um, so I saw, I just saw how well thought out that was, but what even further uh, impressed me was, okay, how am I going to pay for this? So I, one of the things that I've always seen is, you know, it's like, this is how much it's going to cost me. This is the projection of this, 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 and this. But what I don't always see is the actual, you know, the financial model of how are you going to get paid? And, um, can you just talk a little bit about, you know, your early projections of, of how you thought you might actually end up,
2: uh, one day, bringing an income in because this is a free app, correct? Yeah, it's free. And um, at one time in the business plan, I, I did have um, either a paid app or just a subscription where the listeners, if if the content was that good and was that big of a network, and they really w- wanted to have it, it could be you know x number of dollars per year, and it would just charge on their credit card. And I had that in the business plan for a while. And as I did more research and and into things it was like you really need to move more to a a free model for the for the listeners because there's there's so much competition out there for people's time and and all that and and the friction and so forth and i needed to build an audience anyway because i wanted to get advertising would be ultimately the real um revenue source and but in order to get the advertisers you got to get mass mass audience or mass uh listeners so really i, I basically made the app free made the um the usage of it totally free to basically so we could we could really blow this thing out and get you know potentially we're, we're going to tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands and ultimately i want this to be essentially a household you know brand i mean that's that's my ultimate goal is to make it a household brand i think if, with pandora now and iHeartRadio radio and people using their smartphones to hook them up into their cars and they're getting that a lot of these cars are kind of come built with you know these four sinks and so forth i think I'm going to try to ride that wave where people get it. And obviously the younger people get it, you know, more, but really anyone um, basically can listen to the TV talk shows. So then you get into a brand situation where you can go to the large advertisers. So if you, you watch Sprint or you, sorry, you watch Survivor and you see the, the ads for Sprint, well, why not on the, you know, Survivor TV talk show, Sprint could be the sponsor, so you you basically could target the sponsors that are better spending millions of dollars on the TV show that people are fast forwarding the commercials if they're DVRing it or they're just getting sick of it on Hulu or whatever they're they're maybe not list, you know watching the commercials but if they listen to the TV talk show the next morning they really can't skip those commercials and you and you don't hit them hard you just say this you know this is brought to you by Sprint and that sort of thing and we're also talking to the networks as well you know the networks may want to make a play for this so it'll be interesting to see you know on on the sponsorship side whether it's somebody like a network or uh, somebody in in the tech side of things or if it's just the brands the brands will be a little harder and longer to get to but i think with the audience all it takes is a large audience and you know I'll, we'll be able to find the advertisers I, I have no doubt about that yeah
0: and and, and i'll I, i'm blown away by just what you've already been able to accomplish in such a short period of time uh over the summer you had a very soft launch a private beta private alpha i would actually say um where you were building the app and releasing it you know iterations of it as as you as it was being built and you launched with a couple shows i think probably what five or six shows yep and um i was watching i I think the doctor who fan podcast was one of them or the doctor who tv talk was one of them, and uh, person of interest was one of the TV talks that I was listening to, and I really enjoyed I, the the concept. Made a lot of sense, and being you know in this field of of entertainment podcasting, I really enjoyed the the consistent format and the consistent quality that was being there. And so, yes, it would definitely. It, it, for me, I know it's in, intriguing, and I really felt like it would be intriguing for anybody that I've come in contact who's enjoyed all the entertainment podcasts that I I'd enjoyed. But you guys have accomplished a lot. You already have an Android app out there. You have an iPhone app out there, and uh, you are getting ready to do some uh, things this August. You want to tell people what your plans are for the fall?
2: Yeah, so everybody knows the, the fall is kind of when a lot of these shows come back on. It's uh, the fall uh, TV season, quote unquote. It's back to school. It's back to football, and it's back to watching TV and so forth in the fall. So we're coinciding, you know, our full official, you know, launch because we like, like you just said, we were kind of did an alpha. We were, you know, trying to figure this out, and then we're in a beta now where we're we're out and people can download it and there's no hiding it or we're not in stealth mode to speak of. But we still, you know, feel like you know we gotta. Work on other things and and get the hosts up to speed and so forth. But really, we've been working towards this fall launch. So we're we'll have a PR uh, firm and we'll basically have you know a big um, you know nationwide launch the week of September sixteenth. So we're going to try to be able to be heard through every media anywhere anywhere you look. You know, we'll hopefully be out there and people will be talking to us because the week of the sixteenth is kind of when a lot of these shows are starting back up we're looking to do anywhere between 40 and possibly upwards of 50 shows that will be, you know, part of the network, um, TV talk shows. So, um, that will give pretty much everybody will have at least one or two shows that they watch on TV will be part of our app. Cause obviously if there's, if you don't watch any of the shows that are in our app or in the TV talk network, then it pretty much is kind of a moot point. So, you know, I think if we, we have that many shows and, um, all it takes is one or two for people, if they watch that show, they'll check it out. And they'll say, well, let me see what the hosts are having to say. And you're right about the equipment and the talent and the, and the quality. That was one thing I always wanted to make sure. If we're going to have a, a brand that's um, basically going to be nationwide and we'll try to have it so there's everybody who has an iPhone or an Android or even a PC or a laptop or a tablet has can listen, you know, we want to have that high quality. So you know we're doing everything we can to to have the quality, and that's really where you know you've played a huge part in in making sure that, that that's as, as as good as it can possibly be. Because without that, I think people are like, well, this is cheesy. This is oh, it sounds like he's in a can, and you know those, and and we can't have that. And I've been a stickler uh, for that from the beginning. And I think they're pretty good. I mean, sometimes you have things that fall down. These people are working out of their homes and it's nine o'clock at night and they're using Skype. And, you know, so you have challenges, but that's, that's with every business. You have challenges and and you have to stay on top of things. But I've been a big proponent of of building a team of really good people and then letting them run with it. And I think that's what we've done, you know, since uh, I started hiring people, November, December, and uh, they're not full-time. Most of them are working on this part-time, but they love it. They absolutely love working for TV Talk, and um, they're passionate about it like I am. And they want to see it get big, so they, they work really hard. And we have fun. You know, that's obviously really important is just having fun with it. And then hopefully here in the fall with our our fall TV season launch, we can see. Just tons and tons of downloads and usage, and people saying, "Hey, I love this," and people sharing it because we've got a whole lot of sharing capabilities where you can share on Facebook and share on Twitter. So then their followers find out. Similar to the way Instagram really kind of got big, as people would see these filtered photos out on the internet on Facebook and say, "Well, how'd you get take that picture?" Well, oh, well, you got to download this app called Instagram. Well, that's similar to what we're trying to do. Is people will you know, put a feedback clip in and then they'll share, share that. And people listen and say, oh, I want to do that. Well, how do you do that? You download the TV talk app. So that's the idea. And it'll be kind of exciting this fall to see, see if it can, it can really boom.
0: Absolutely. Well, there you go, my friends. I wanted to give you guys like the kind of the ground floor understanding of something that I think is going to be huge um real one one additional note that i want to just make sure people are aware of um the the actual tv talk shows themselves are independently available in the itunes store as well uh so so if you would prefer to consume these tv talk episodes like you do with the regular your regular podcast subscriptions you can just go into itunes and do a search for tv talk um I I wonder, Stuart, if you fixed it to or if you actually set it up, I should say, to pull up under both TV Talk
2: with and without the space. I uh, think so. They, they can try it if you type in TV Talk Network, that pulls up all of our podcasts in iTunes. But um, I'll have to check that. Yeah, uh, my just, people do that kind of stuff. Yeah,
0: <laughs> j- just came up with that off as I was saying it. But anyway, th- so they're available in iTunes. There's a handful of them there. Obviously, there'll be a whole lot more. Uh, yep. the, you know, coming up in the next several weeks. I would encourage all of you guys listening to Podcast Answer Man to go and download the TV Talk app for your Android device or your iOS device and uh, give it a shot. If you have a favorite television show, look for that show, hopefully to to show up in the app here within the next uh, four to six weeks. Right. And uh, I encourage everybody, I know the Podcast Answer Man, the community here, you guys are great at leaving feedback. And there's a little talk button on there that you'll be able to actually just click a button and record right from your phone in your hand, hit the send button, it sends it right out to them. Stuart, um, again, just thank you so much for for being a great friend. Thank you for being a great business mentor to me and a business advisor to me. Uh, and thank you again for the wonderful contribution you've made to our network in the past and what you continue to bring just in your relationship to this community. And um, I, I'm excited to, to, to even have played any role or any part in TV talk. And uh, I, think, I think there's going to be a lot of people talking about TV talk in the future. So uh, thanks for coming onto
2: the show here and sharing the story. Well, thank you, Cliff. I'm kind of where where I wanted to be when I first uh, met you and I was like, oh, I want to be there and and I'm kind of there and a lot of it is because of you and I I really appreciate everything. Awesome. Thank you so much.
0: Well, my friends, that is going to wrap it up for this episode of Podcast Answer Man. Wow. I'm just so excited that Stuart was able to come onto the show and share his story, his experience with us. So many different elements here that I wanted it, for the for which I is okay. I told you that I'm just gonna go with this thing, right? I'm gonna be authentic. Here's the situation there are many reasons why I wanted to have uh, Stuart on here. One, just his entrepreneurial spirit, his his the way he looks at business, uh, for you guys to understand the success that he's had. Um, there's something about the whole idea of. You know what led him to have such great success was his passion and enjoyment for the work that he was doing. He really to to think that you know when the business got so successful and the the funds the the money is coming in to where he's making you know two to three million dollars a year without really needing to go into work very often if he didn't want to. You know to to kind of hear somebody who's got the money and the money is no is not the problem. But the question is, is, man, I really miss the days when I had something that I was so passionate about, something I want to do. I love that. I, I, I love that that's what drives him. He's like, you know, and, and I, I've i been friends with Stuart for quite some time now. And one thing that um, he did mention in his story, we didn't actually go into greater detail on it, but he did recently just sell that software business. So he actually sold the business in part because he wanted to actually put all of his attention on TV talk. So this is not just a little side venture for him. This is something that is, is a pretty big deal. And, um, I can tell you, I'm, I'm really excited about it. And I hope that you guys, uh, will follow this journey. I like to bring to you stories of people who are doing interesting things in this space, in the podcasting new media space. I like entrepreneurial stories, inspirational stories, um, you know, there's also the story of how he became a business advisor of mine, how he became a mentor of mine, how giving away content for free and and just you know, trusting in faith and just so many different elements. And that's why I wanted to have him on here. And I'm so glad that um, the opportunity afforded itself for us to have Stuart on the show. So there you go. Check, check out TV dot com. Well, my friends, I am going to wrap things up here Um You know what? There are several of you who have purchased Bluehost um, domains using my affiliate link. I don't have that list in front of me. I will make sure to share everybody's domain names next week at the end of the show. And uh, I have not yet chosen the start date of my next podcasting A to Z course. I know some of you are waiting for that. But that announcement also should be available by next week as well. But I just want to say thank you for tuning into this lengthier episode. And I wish you great success in everything that you do.
2: Helping you to get the me.